listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. I am going to read Daniel 3 um, in its entirety, so buckle up. It's a little bit long, but it's a great, great story. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary, and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent this angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. And thank you for that reading, Alicia. And thank you to everyone at home who uh, followed along and, and bared with us. That's a, it's a, it is a great story. It's a long story, but it's a really good story. You know, for a couple weeks now, um, we've been ending our scripture readings with the same call and response. The word of God for the people of God. And then together we all say in unison, thanks be to God. It's a pretty formal, like traditional bit of liturgy, something you might find in like an Episcopal church or maybe even a Catholic church. Not the sort of thing that us Baptists are as comfortable with. We like our worship services a bit less formal, a bit more laid back. But we have uh, added this element for a couple of reasons. First, on like a super practical level, we're not able to worship together in person right now because of the pandemic. And it's easy for a virtual worship service to feel very passive, like you're just consuming content, watching a video on Facebook or YouTube. So we're being really intentional in looking for little ways like this to make this service a little bit more interactive, a little bit more participatory. On a deeper level, though, I also really appreciate this line, 
the Word of God for the people of God because it reflects that this is our story. We are the people of God. And the Bible, this, this book, this is our story. It was written, you know, years and years ago, centuries ago, in a different culture, a different time, a different language. But as foreign as this book might feel to us at times, it's still our book. The story is the same story we're still living out today with the same struggles, the same challenges, and the same God who is with us through it all. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. This is the story of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is one of those uh, classic Sunday school stories that you might remember from like a flannel graph or a kid's Bible or an episode of Veggie Tales if you're in my generation. Uh, If we were meeting face-to-face right now, if I weren't preaching to a big uh, empty sanctuary, I'd probably do a quick straw poll and I would try to see how many of us actually remember this story from our childhoods because this is one of those classic Bible uh, stories that we teach to little kids that is not intended for little kids. This is an adult story with some very grown-up themes. Three men are executed or attempted to be executed by being thrown into an oven. That's pretty dark. Like, they live to tell about it. They're rescued, um, but it's still pretty grisly. It's a miracle that, like, No kids have, like, come home from church and tried to climb into an oven after hearing this story. God forbid. Kids, if you're watching at home, do not try this at home. This is not a story about, a story for kids. This is a story with adult themes like faithfulness, loyalty, idolatry, nationalism, whether or not we can trust God for real when things get super dark. This is a story for grown-ups. So let's dive into it. Alicia did a really nice job reading this passage for us. I'm not going to reread this one. It's a little too long for that. Um, But I do want to recap this story just a bit so it's nice and fresh in our minds and we're all kind of understanding the plot line. The story begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, erecting this golden statue. And the statue is absurdly big. We're told that the statue is 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. A cubit's like from your fingertip to your elbow, so that's about 90 feet high and 9 feet across. It's a big statue. And the statue is actually a callback to Daniel chapter 2, uh, the passage we looked at last week. If you, if you remember last week's sermon or if you read the chapter right before this one, it's that story where Nebuchadnezzar has a bad dream, this nightmare about this massive statue made out of gold and silver and other metals, and then out of the heavens, this rock comes and it smashes the statue to pieces. This, king really, uh, this dream really troubled the king, but then this Jewish exile named Daniel shows up and he interprets the dream for the king. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, That his kingdom, Babylon, is the head of gold. You, O king, are the head of gold. And that this statue with its different materials represents a succession of kingdoms that are going to come only to be met and crushed by the kingdom of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar clearly learned the wrong lesson from this story. Like, he really dug that head of gold part and was like, that sounds kind of nice. 
think I actually would like a golden statue to represent my kingdom. Clearly the wrong lesson, but Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive statue out of gold. We're not told what it's a statue of. It's most likely a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself or maybe one of his gods. The important point, though, whatever it's depicting, is this statue symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. It's the empire which, by this point in the story, has defeated Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Are we following the plot so far? Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive statue. He convenes a ceremony to dedicate it. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance in the ceremony. Anybody who's anybody is there. Rulers, governors, judges, magistrates, uh, dignitaries of all sorts. We might think of like a royal wedding um, or an inauguration today, right? If you watched the inauguration this past Wednesday, you saw some of this pomp and circumstance. Really interesting timing for this story. That was not intentional, but it is uh, appropriate, I think. All these government types are there, these leaders, these powerful people, and the order is given that when the music plays, when the band heats up, everybody is supposed to bow to this statue. It's this like massive corporate display of faithfulness, loyalty, and worship to the empire. But our heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Jewish refugees who've worked their way up in the Babylonian government, they don't bow. They opt out of this display of empire worship, and the kingdom goes absolutely ballistic. Word gets back to the king about this. He flies into rage. He orders that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be executed by being thrown into a fiery furnace, basically like a big oven. Think like a kiln or something like that. The king's guards seize the men, they tie them up and they throw them in, and the fire is heated so hot that these, these guards, these, these officers of the law, are actually killed by the flames themselves. But then the king looks into the furnace, and he sees that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are unharmed. They're walking around inside the oven, like they're out for a stroll or something. That's like literally the language that's used here. They are strolling through the flames. And then the king looks in, and along with our three heroes, he sees a fourth figure, a divine being, one who looks like a son of the gods, which is really interesting. So the king calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the furnace. They have no trace of fire on them. Their clothes aren't singed. They don't even smell like smoke. The king promotes them. He praises their God, and then he orders that anyone who slanders the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and have their homes destroyed. So again, Nebuchadnezzar not exactly taking the right lesson away from this story, but it's a happy ending, at least. There is so much good stuff here. There are so many ways we could dissect this and, and focus and dive into this, but I want to frame this story to kind of make it a little bit more simple in terms of faithfulness. I want to talk about the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God, because both of those are on display in some really powerful ways in this story. But let's start with the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
We met these three guys back in Daniel chapter 1, the very start of our story. They are friends of Daniel. They're part of this group of young, well-educated Jewish elites who were um, forcibly relocated. They were exiled from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. When we first met these men in Daniel chapter 1, they were drawing a line on food, if you remember that story from a few weeks ago. Um, They accepted Babylonian names. Uh, They accepted Babylonian clothes. They took jobs in government. But they refused to eat the meat and wine of the Babylonians. They refused to dine at the king's table, which is an important connection. They started small. Their resistance to empire started with drawing a line when it came to food. Pretty minor, pretty small in the grand scheme of things. But if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not drawn that line on food, there is very little chance their faithfulness would have held up when the furnace entered the picture. Which is an important lesson for us, I think. If you're striving for faithfulness with the little things, if you're drawing some lines in your daily life, saying no to certain things, trying to live in a way that honors God, then your faith is probably going to hold up when the big challenges come your way. If your faith makes no difference in how you live, how you think, how you raise your kids, how you vote, how you treat your neighbor, how you spend your time, your money— If none of that is impacted by your faith and kind of the day-to-day, then don't be surprised when your faith fails you with something big. That's the first practical takeaway from this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego start small, and their faithfulness holds up with the big stuff. But let's talk a little bit more about their faithfulness, and I want to talk about idolatry. Because whenever we talk about idolatry in the Bible, it's really easy to feel this disconnect. Because like, we, don't, we don't do this anymore, right? We don't struggle with this in quite the same way. Uh, very few of us are bowing down to giant gold statues and worshiping them. We don't believe in other gods, we don't worship other gods, we only worship one God. So whenever we come across like golden calves and golden statues, idols in the Bible, it's easy to check out and assume that these stories about idolatry don't apply to us. But idolatry is about more than bowing down to statues. This golden statue is a national symbol. Remember all the pomp and the circumstance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't in a temple. They're at a national monument. These guys aren't priests. They work in government. This story is as much political as it is religious. We might have secular government today, thank goodness, but our symbols, our patriotism, the language we use when we talk about our country, about America, about our government, it's the language of worship. Look at the inauguration this past Wednesday, for those of you who watched it. In many respects, that was a worship service. You had singing, right? There's prayer. Oaths were taken. There's like a formality, almost a liturgy to it all. Um, People give readings. There's speeches. Biden's speech was practically a sermon. There's a Bible, right? It's a worship service, basically. When the Capitol building was invaded two weeks ago by uh, right-wing insurrectionists, 
Our leaders and all the talking heads on TV were using words like desecration and sacrilege. The, the hollowed halls of the U.S. Capitol were desecrated today. Are those halls hollow? Should they be to us? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to kneel to this statue, they're refusing to participate in the civil religion of Babylon. They're refusing to grant hallowness, sacred status to their government. Think about our Jehovah's Witness friends who refuse to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Or our Mennonite brothers and sisters who refuse to register for the draft. Uh, Think about the early Baptists, our ancestors in the faith, who renounced their infant baptism, and in so doing, renounced their their earthly citizenship to get re-baptized as adults. That's what's going on here. That's the sort of faithfulness that's on display. Or to use another example, a more recent example, something, an example that might, like, unsettle some of us, which is okay if we can't be unsettled in church. What are we doing here? But to use a more recent example, I want to talk about Colin Kaepernick for a minute. I know as a congregation, we have perspectives all across the map when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. To those who are unfamiliar, if you're like me and you don't follow football, Colin Kaepernick is a former NFL quarterback who made headlines a few years ago when he took a knee during the national anthem. Maybe you remember that story. It was a pretty big deal. This was like pretty soon after Ferguson, the Black Lives Matter protests were just starting to heat up, and as his own form of protest, as his own sort of personal political statement about the mistreatment of African Americans historically in our country, Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem. He refused to stand with his fellow players on the field. That is not all that different from what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in this story. Kaepernick's protest wasn't like religiously motivated, at least not overtly. He was protesting injustice, but of course we might say the same thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, remember, these are three refugees who were forcibly removed from their homeland. Clearly justice is in view here. And Kaepernick didn't do anything like overtly seditious, right? Like he didn't, he didn't spit on the flag or burn the flag. He didn't bow down to another flag or sing the national anthem of some other country. He didn't raise his fist. He took a knee. He opted out. And the country went ballistic. He lost his job. Uh, Kaepernick was blacklisted by the NFL. He was called all sorts of names in the media. Um, People boycotted his team, said that he should be fined, arrested, imprisoned. I have a number of middle-aged white relatives who to this day believe that Colin Kaepernick should be killed. I mean, thank God no one had a fiery furnace big enough for an NFL quarterback back then. When you think about the emotions, the passion, the rage that was displayed toward this football player, the the feelings that some of us might still be feeling right now just by mentioning it, that is exactly what's going on for Nebuchadnezzar and these Babylonians. The empire was thrown into a rage by these three men refusing to bow. 
They didn't desecrate Babylon. They didn't curse Babylon. They didn't mount an insurrection. No, they adopted the culture. They took jobs in government. They excelled at those jobs. They were incredibly loyal and faithful to Babylon. They were good citizens, patriots even. They just didn't worship Babylon. They drew a line there. They opted out out of the civil religion of Babylon. Their faithfulness to God came first. Which raises a really important question for us. Where does our faithfulness lie? Like ultimately. What stirs the emotions of our hearts? The flag or the cross? You might say I'm a patriot, I love my country, but I don't worship America. Are you sure? When you see these images, which one stirs your heart? It's fine to respect both. It's fine to honor both. You should be a good citizen. You can be a Christian and a patriot. That's good. But which one shapes your identity? Or take these two images. Next slide here. Which of these two pictures troubles you the most? Some football players kneeling during the national anthem or a cross being wielded by the Proud Boys, which is a violent neo-fascist domestic terror group before they lead a charge on the Capitol. Which of these pictures sends you into a rage? Which one breaks your heart, makes you sad? Which one provokes a visceral reaction from you? That will tell you which one you worship. That'll show you where your faithfulness lies. That's a little bit about the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's close by talking about the faithfulness of God. There's this fantastic line when Nebuchadnezzar confronts these three men when he says, what God can deliver you from my hands? I mean, he just sets himself up and walks right into it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response in verse 16 is just perfect. Check this out. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Mike drop. So punk rock. I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't know that God is going to save them. They have no idea what's about to happen, but they trust God's faithfulness either way. And I've got news for you, something you might have missed uh, from this story. God doesn't save them from the fire. God doesn't save them from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. These guys spend the rest of their lives working, basically being slaves for Nebuchadnezzar. They're not going home. God doesn't stop them from being thrown into the fire. And that's because God doesn't save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. God saves them in the fire. Let's say that again. God doesn't save them from the fire. God saves them in the fire. 
you're the type to shout in the middle of a sermon, this might be a line where you yell, amen. I'm going on three years of full-time ministry uh, here at Brockport First Baptist. It's been, it's been a ride. It's been fun. It's been really interesting. I'm learning a lot. One thing I've noticed, though, is this strange paradox around God's faithfulness. Whenever we talk about God's faithfulness in the abstract, like God being in control and all that sort of thing, there's this real issue with the reality of suffering. The fact that bad stuff still happens. It's like if God is in control... If God is faithful, why do we suffer? But here's the paradox. With very few exceptions, the people I've met who have endured the most suffering, the most loss, the people who have been through the ringer, who have experienced unimaginable tragedy and heartbreak, those are almost always the people who testify most boldly to God's faithfulness. How is that possible? Like, how does that work? How can it be that people who have lost the most, who've endured the most suffering, somehow come out of it testifying that God is faithful? Friends, it's because God didn't save them from the fire. God saved them in the fire. God met them. God entered into the suffering in the the midst of their tragedy, and God brought them through it. And for the life of me, I don't know why God works like that. I don't know why God enters into our pain and suffering and meets us there rather than just sparing us from pain in the first place. That makes no sense to me. But I am really grateful for that testimony. Because I'll be super honest, I have not endured that much suffering in my relatively short life. Not yet. I've been incredibly lucky so far. But I know that's not going to hold, right? It never does. Eventually, tragedy strikes. It comes at all of us. And one of the biggest things that gives me hope for when that time comes is the testimony of those who've been saved by God in the fire. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredibly challenging story of faithfulness. We thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their faithful resistance to empire. God, we ask that you would help us to check our hearts, to identify anything that draws worship from you, be it good or bad, whether it's our country or our family, our career, or anything else that shapes our identity, Lord, empower us to identify those forces in our lives and to hand them over to you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for being the sort of God who dwells with us, who journeys with us, who endures the ups and downs of life with us. Thank you for being a God who saves us in the fire of our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, 
BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.